Uh, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. I want to say thank you very much for, for being here today. Uh, we never take it for granted anytime anybody shows up. Uh, somebody made the comment one time that our church is in such a horrible location, uh, but we don't need uh, good visibility like most retail spaces. Uh, like a retail space, you drive by and you see the golden arches and you're like, hey, I want to shake. Uh, if you, you, know, you see Chick-fil-A down in Brockton, you say, I want some Jesus chicken, right? Uh, nobody drives by a church and goes, oh, it starts in 10 minutes. Let's get religious. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. There's nobody that showed up here today who didn't wake up this morning thinking, dang it, we're going to go, right? So the fact that you woke up and said, dang it, we're going to go, and you picked this one is a big deal. So I just want to say thank you very much. Our hope every single weekend when you show up, I mean, I think all of us that are regulars here, is that each of us are able to take our next step toward becoming the person that God always intended us to be, the person that God, God created us to be. And so this weekend is, is no, no different in, in that respect. Uh, we are in a, a series that we're calling I have a big butt, um, and I said I'm a little offended that you guys want me to do all the teaching on this series, because uh, it's a little too close to home, um, but I just said butt again, sorry, like the middle schooler me, every time I say the word butt makes me giggle, but dang it, I did it again. In any case, uh, I, uh, we're, we're, we're addressing the objections that people have towards faith. So uh, you may, uh, some of you guys might have said, you know, if God is all-powerful and he's good, why does he let so much evil go unchecked? Anybody ever heard that question before or have that question? We're talking about that next week. Uh, some, of, some of us have said, I, or some of, some of our friends, or, or you possibly, uh, I don't know why we should believe that a book written 2,000 years ago uh, is still being taught as being infallible and the word of God. How do we know it's not just, uh, it's not made up, number one, and how do we know uh, that, that it, it is even from God? That's, that's two weeks from now. Last week is, you know, I'm cool with Christians, but you guys like are so like anti-sex. Uh, that, was, that was last week. And uh, this week is, uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem with religion per se, except <laughs> science, right? Uh, how many of you guys ever heard that, right? So uh, if you, I, I listen to a lot of uh, stand-up comics because um, I think they're good storytellers. Most preachers should probably learn how to tell stories better, right? So uh, I listen to a lot of stand-up, and, and most of the stand-up I listen to, uh, most of the comics that are out there, are very aggressive atheists, like they're very anti-religion. Um, and and I, mean, I think it's kind of a stereotype that most comics, you know, have like some angst in them that kind of brought them towards that, you know, vocation in, anyway. Uh, but some of my favorite comics, some of my favorite comics are very anti-religion. And when religion comes up, it's always in a very condescending, um, patronizing uh, way. Um, and, and, I, and I don't think comics are the only ones that struggle with that, right? Uh, I, I think that I did in my 20s. Uh, I'm a preacher's kid and a uh, very religious family, as you would imagine, being in a preacher's home and raised in a Christian school. Uh, graduated from a Christian school, went to a Christian college, uh, Bible college to study ministry, then graduated from a Christian Bible, Bible college and then went to go work in a Christian church. So like my entire life, at least in the first 28 uh, years of my life, uh, was, was lived around everybody who shared my world. 90% of everybody I knew believed 90% of everything I believed. Uh, 
So I wasn't really around anybody that didn't believe a whole lot like me, and if they did, it just didn't come up in conversation. So uh, I, I, I wasn't, because I wasn't raised in a Christian school, I wasn't taught evolutionary science. I was taught creation science, and some of you guys are like, well, that's an oxymoron, and that's kind of what we're, that's why we're talking about this, this topic today, uh, is, is, is whether or not um, Genesis 1-1 is, is like, like, how much of the Genesis narrative do I have to believe in order to be uh, a, a Christian? Or, or um, some of us just explain away, like the first three chapters are maybe poetic, we'll say, or we'll say that it's, it's allegory or metaphor or simile. Um, if you're an English teacher, you know which word I should have used. Pick that one. Um, but that's how we kind of, that's what we do, do with it. Um, some of you guys know uh, that, that I'm a huge fan of The Office. I've watched all nine seasons, probably five or six times, all the way through. Each time one of my kids gets to be 14 or 15, they're old enough to watch it. We, I watch it again. It's been, and so with my youngest son, he's 16. We're already on our, we just finished our second time through. There's a guy in there named Dwight Schrute who, uh, the character on his show is that he's, uh, he's kind of ancient, uh, like, a, like, like, like primitive in his understanding of the way the world works, and he's a little bit of a technophobe, and, and, uh, but, and, and, and he's the dumb guy, he's the weird one, but in real life, uh, the, the, the guy's name is Rain Wilson, and he's incredibly intelligent, and uh, he's got a, uh, um, a, a, a website that's helped a lot of other comics get their, get their start. And um, he, he's, he's really smart. And, you know, I follow him on Twitter and stuff. And it's, it's interesting. And uh, a little over a year ago, he retweeted uh, a, a tweet from uh, Baha'i Teachings. Uh, so this is almost like, if you remember this show, uh, you miss 100% of the shots uh, you never take. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, as quoted by Michael Scott. So this is like a quote from Baha'i Teachings, as quoted by, by Rain Wilson. But this is the quote uh, that he retweeted. If religious beliefs are contrary to the standards of science, they're superstition and imaginations. Now, I don't, I don't know the motivation. Like, why did he randomly just go, listen, if your religious beliefs go against science, then, then it's a, it's a, you're, you're just superstitious. Now, I, like I said, I, I, I'm not aware of any particular angst he has towards like, people of, of faith or anything like that, so I'm, I'm not making any of these accusations. But, but being an American comic, uh, if I'm going to lump him in with other American, like it was, it was a dig at Christians, possibly. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to, to assign motive that I'm, I, I can't you know, speak to but, but the truth is, is I 100% agree with that statement. Like that, that doesn't threaten my uh, world, world view uh, as, as a, as a crea- creationist. Uh, in, in my 20s, there was a, I was a youth pastor. There was a, a student in our youth ministry. His name was Buddy Fidel. And Buddy was an, was an atheist uh, who had come to our youth group because a friend invited him. And uh, like two months in, um, like I was being raised in a very uber... Like, I was like Shiite Christian, man. Like, we were like hardcore Christian. You know what I'm saying? Am I allowed to say that? Like, we're the kind of Christian that didn't like other Christians because they weren't Christian enough like our Christian, right? Like, that's a, anybody else raised in a church like that? That's Shiite Christian. Trust me, they exist, All right? So that was my religious upbringing. And I was so like, like, people who aren't Christians think they're happy but ain't really happy because they ain't Christian. 
people who ain't Christian can't have good marriage. They think they got a good marriage, but they can't have like a really good marriage because they're not. And I believed all of that until I started becoming close friends with some people who didn't believe in God. And I'm like, these people, some of them are absolutely, like I think there's just as many jerks that are not, that are Christian as there are not Christian, right? I think there's just as many selfish people in the churches. And it shouldn't be that way, I know. I'm just saying, some of the nicest people in my, in my life are, are atheists. Like uh, one of the guys who helps uh, facilitate, and I don't want to give too many, too, too many descriptions because there's a lot. Of, there's, okay, I, I play in an old man basketball league on Thursday. Uh, it's 35 and older. And uh, I play in that league uh, because it's the only place where I can still look good from time to time. That dude on a walker, I can cross him all day long, Right? And that dude with a bad hip, homeboy ain't got nothing on my low post move. That's all I got to say, all right? Uh, so I played that Thursday night league. I've been playing since 2007. It's 2019. You guys know what time it is. Uh, but that's been 12 years. And I just got invited to the Turnpike Cafe after basketball. So I get invited to the pub. I just now, it took me 12 years to get an invite. That's because when people say, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a preacher. They're like, uh-huh, okay. No one wants to go to the pub with a preacher. Who, like, no one wants to be friends with a preacher. I ain't got no friends. But seriously, who wants to be a friend with a preacher? So that, that's my world. All right? Right? Okay, no, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I'm in therapy. We're good. But 12 years, I finally get invited to the pub. And I'm like, hello, I got some friends. I walk into Turnpike Cafe. They're already there. And one of you says, hey, Awesome, Sean, now we got some religion. Not like any of us actually believe there's a God, though. And everybody thought that was hilarious. And then the preacher walks up to that table, right? Uh, now, obviously, I didn't go into some rant on why I believe in God or nothing like that. I was just like, ah, just, <laughs> please like me, please like me, please like me. Uh, no, but what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that like most people, I think the I, science is, is the obstacle. That's the barrier. And the idea is that faith and science are mutually exclusive. That if you're going to be a person of faith, you deny real science. Or if you're a person of real science, then you can't really be a person of faith. And so my question is, is, is that true? And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, but where we're actually starting, though, is with this question. Can I be a Christian and an evolutionist? Do I have to believe in a literal interpretation of the first three chapters of the Bible in order to be a Christian? Can I believe that man evolved slowly over time and still be a devoted follower of Jesus? The answer to that question is complicated. The answer is yes, and maybe no. Now, now, first of all, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who don't love like Christ, live like Christ, give like Christ, serve like Christ, or forgive like Christ. Can we all admit that? There's a whole lot of people who say they are something they ain't. They just identify as Christian because they got catechized, baptized, or CCDized, right? But bro, if you don't walk like a duck, quack like a duck, swim like a duck, and fly like a duck, bro, you ain't no duck. Are we all on the same page? If you don't love like Jesus, live like Jesus, give like Jesus, serve like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, 
I don't know that you're actually following them. So you can identify as anything you want to identify. I mean, that's kind of the thing now, right? But to be a devoted follower of Jesus that God has adopted into his family, biblically, you only have to acknowledge that you've broken God's laws and you've been selfish towards your fellow man and that that's what's, and you realize that's what separates you from God. You would also have to recognize that Jesus is the only one who ever lived who did not break God's laws, who was not selfish towards his fellow man, earned immunity with God on judgment day, but offered that immunity to mankind, but in exchange had to suffer our consequences for our sins that we did commit. Right? Now, the Bible says that even Satan acknowledges that to be true. So belief and faith are not the same thing. There's a lot of people that believe in God that are not adopted by God. Satan believes I mean, if there is a God and there is a devil, they're aware of each other's existence, right? Truth is, Satan believes in God more than anybody else in this room. He's seen him. You haven't. And if you have, don't talk to me. <laughs> Sorry, you can talk to me, but not about that. It'll scare me. All right. I don't know. Whatever. Sorry, I shouldn't have even said that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so Satan's believed in, in God since his existence. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw Jesus buried, and he saw Jesus rose from the dead. He knows Jesus rose from the dead. So since coming to that, that's great. You believed. But the question is, do you have faith? Faith is belief plus trust. Do I believe in Jesus enough to trust Jesus with the rest of my life? What Satan will never do is what God asks you to do, to repent of your contribution to the brokenness and sin in the world. God, I'm sorry for my sins against you and against my fellow man. I accept what Jesus did as the only thing that compensates for my debt. I'm asking you to forgive me and help me to follow you with the rest of my life. That's repentance. But that had nothing to do with the theory of origins, did it? So yes, you can be a Christian and an evolutionist. My next question would be, why do you not believe in the first three chapters? If it's because you believe the evidence points you away from that, that's one thing. But if you have a bias against the supernatural, that's why you don't believe it. Then I'm asking, do you really believe Jesus rose from the dead? Because that's pretty supernatural. So if there is a God raising from the dead, raising Jesus from the dead, probably wouldn't be the biggest thing he's ever done. Right? And if there is a God, could he create everything? You see what I'm saying? It's like if, you, if the bias is against the supernatural, then I ask, do you really believe in the resurrection? Because honestly, that's all it takes to be a devoted follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. To have accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that satisfies my debt before a holy and righteous God, my repentance of my sin, and my commitment to follow him with the rest of my life. What you believe about this theory of origins can be completely distinct from... It can, it can, it can be. Um... But where I'm going with this is that theory of origins being the thing that keeps us from faith altogether. The idea that the Bible would start out with a three-chapter-long fairy tale makes it difficult for some of us to accept any of the rest of it as factually true. So where we're going to start is the idea that both creation and evolution are theories. And that's not my opinion we're going to start by looking at what evolutionary scientists have said about this. So Harrison Matthews wrote the foreword 
to one of the editions of The Origin of Species. How many of you guys have ever heard of the book, The Origin of Species? It's the Evolution Bible, all right? It's Darwin's book that he wrote that is the foundation of all evolutionary science, the, 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 uh, uh, the Origin of Species. And so every time they come out with a new edition of The Origin of Species, they pick somebody, uh, some prestigious, some prestigious uh, 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 evolutionary scientist, to bestow this honor on by getting to write the foreword to that book. So this guy, Harrison Matthews, is one of the guys who wrote the foreword for one of the editions of The Origin of Species, and here's what he said. The fact of evolution is the backbone of biology, and biology is thus in a peculiar position of being a science founded on an unproven theory. Is it then science or faith? Belief in the theory of evolution is thus exactly parallel to belief in special creation. Both are concepts which believers know to be true, but neither up to the present time have been capable of proof. So here's a guy, much smarter than anybody else in this room. You haven't been asked to write the, 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 the forward to the origin of species, right? Much more educated in evolutionary science, probably, than anybody else in this room. And he's a, so a guy much smarter than us much more knowledgeable about evolution than us, is acknowledging for us that evolution is still a theory. It's, not a fa it's taught as fact, but it isn't fact. Because to be a fact, it must pass the scientific method, which means that it is observable, repeatable, and you must be able to make experiments with it. And you can't do that with the origin of life on this planet. You can't observe evolution. You can't observe creation. You can't experiment. You, you can't, like, experiment with the, or, you can't do that. So they're both, they're both theories. Now, evolutionists are 100% confident that their theory is correct, just like creationists are absolutely confident that their theory is correct. They both believe that their theories are fact, but the truth is, scientifically, both of them are theories. George Wald is another guy who was given the honor of writing the foreword to another edition of The Origin of Species. He had won the 1967 Nobel Peace Prize for science. So it's not like he won the Nobel Prize for literature and they said, hey, write something for this book. No, he won the Nobel Prize for science. He's the dude who wrote the foreword for that edition. Here's what he says. Uh, when it comes to the origin of life on earth, there are only two possibilities. Um, creation or spontaneous generation, evolution. There is no third way. That's it. Either life spontaneously arose from nothing, or God created life. There's no other, there's no other option. Then he says, spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago, but that leads us only to one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. Then he says, we cannot accept that on philosophic, not scientific grounds. He says, I'm acknowledging that evolution is scientifically impossible. It's not true. But that only leaves us with creation. I cannot accept that, not on scientific grounds. I cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. So here you have in the evolutionist's Bible, two evolutionary experts who all the other evolutionists admit 
are the evolutionists of evolutionists. Acknowledging two things. Number one, their theory is a theory. And that it contradicts known scientific fact. But they choose to teach it anyway because the alternative doesn't fit their worldview, not the evidence. So that's where they're starting. So let's start where they started, where both are theories, and let's just see about the evidence. Now, Genesis 1, verse 1, by the way, this is, the, this is an unusual day in the teaching series history of our church in that this is the one teaching at Grace Church <laughs> where we're only using one Bible verse. Normally, we take a passage of Scripture or a story from Scripture, a theme from Scripture, and we allow all of the teaching to come from that passage of Scripture. I'm not going to use the Bible to prove the Bible's account of origins because that would be what? Circular reasoning. Why do you believe the Bible is true? Because it's the Word of God. How do you know it's the Word of God? Because it says it is. Well, how do you know it's telling the truth? Because it's the Word of God. How do you know it's the Word of God? Because it says it's the Word of God. That's circular. You can't use the Bible to prove the Bible, right? Like circular reasoning. We, we get that. So this is the one exception to all other, other teachings. And the reason why I'm doing it this way is because there are, there are genuinely sincere skeptics, and you have legitimate, you're not anti-religion. You're not anti-anything. You have legitimate intellectual barriers to faith. And because I believe you deserve to hear converse, dialogue on this subject from the other side of the coin, I don't, I don't want to cheat by using the Bible to prove the Bible's narrative, right? So the one verse we're looking at is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, either that's true or it's not. And some people say, well, there's variations. So you've got those on this side who says there is no God. Everything came from nothing. And then there are those on this side who say there is a God and everything came from him. And then on this half, but a little bit this way, are those who say there is a God who created and used evolution and then there are those on this side who move a little bit way, this way and says, well, every time it says in an evening and a morning with the first day or the second day, the evening represents a starting time and the morning represents an ending time. So each day was really more like an epic of time. And that's called the day-age theory is what that's, that's called. Um, so there, and then there's all kinds of varying degrees uh, all, all with, with, within, within here. Uh, the better question might be, can someone believe the biblical account of origins without losing their intellectual integrity? Can you still be an intelligent adult and believe in a literal six-day creation narrative? Um, I'm going to give you a list, of, and there's a long list, but I'm going to give you a list of some of the most recognizable names of scientists that all of us would recognize are genius who were literal creationists. Uh, you guys have heard of Robert Boyle, the father of chemistry? Anybody ever hear of chemistry before? <laughs> okay, that guy was a creationist. Uh, Isaac Newton uh, developed uh, calculus, uh, the reflecting telescope, and he invented gravity. 
He should have patented that thing. Everybody uses it all the time. He'd be rich. <laughs> right? Discovered gravity. Uh, a creationist, Louis Pasteur. Pasteurization, named after him. And uh, he's the one who disproved um, spontaneous generation. Remember the, uh, the, the uh, meat and the maggots and the jar and then the screen on top and then the flies and the eggs on on. on Depends on how old you are, if you remember that one from, from science class or not. Uh, Johannes uh, Kepler, scientific astronomy. Francis Bacon, uh, the guy who developed the scientific method. Uh, Carolinus, Carolus Linnaeus, biological taxonomy. Gregor Mendel, genetics, the father of genetics. Michael Faraday, electromagnetics. Joseph Lister, antiseptic surgery. Uh, and Albert Einstein. There's, there's a much longer list. Those are the ones that I thought would be most uh, familiar to you. All of them were literal creationists. Uh, in, in fact, Albert Einstein couldn't even get to the place where he said God used, like he said there's a creator, but he couldn't even get to the place where he said God used, God used evolution. Uh, Albert Einstein uh, came to the conclusion that God did not create by chance, but rather that he worked according to planned mathematical teleonomic, and therefore to him, rational, completely rational guidelines. So the more I study things, the more I see intelligent design, like a creator. It wasn't haphazard. He didn't use chance. It was specific. It's, it's too specific uh, to, be, to be by chance. In 2001, uh, PBS put out a documentary called uh, Evolution. Uh, so they didn't have to get too creative, but it was a, it was a series. And in this documentary, uh, they made this claim. They said, all known scientific evidence supports Darwinian evolution, as does virtually every reputable scientist in the world. Is Really? What that did was that caused all of the other scientists who are not some, by the way, not all of them are Christians. There's enough evidence to disprove Darwinian evolution that there's a lot of people now who are not saying life spontaneously arose by chance on earth. They say life came from somewhere else. All they did in that argument was just kick the can farther down the road. They're recognizing that the science disproves that life came from nothing here. That it had to come from, like they're, they're recognizing that, just pushing the can farther down the road. But there's a lot of scientists who disagree with Darwinian evolution. They came together in a symposium, over a hundred of them. And these aren't just like science teachers from Christian schools or small private universities that you know, are privately funded. These are like intellectual and mental giants of academics. Like that's who these... Uh, they came from, uh, uh, they were biologists, chemists, zoologists, physicists, anthropologists, molecular and cellular biologists, bioengineers, uh, organic chemists, geologists, astrophysicists, who had professor jobs at places like Cambridge, Stanford, Cornell, Yale, Rutgers, Princeton, Purdue, Duke, Michigan, Syracuse, Berkeley, uh, MIT, Tulane, Rice, Emory, George Mason, Lehigh, universities of about 30 different states. Among them was the director of computational quantum chemistry. <laughs> I wouldn't want to smoke a cigar with that guy in an afternoon. That, he'd be like the whole thing would be over my, like the homeboy's a nerd to nerds, right? Like that's, that's this dude. Uh, um, uh, scientists from the plasma physics lab at Princeton, from the National Museum of Natural History at the Smithsonian Institute, and from the Los Alamos National Laboratory. And these are intellectual giants that disagree with Darwinian evolution. They came together and they wrote a 151-page response to this documentary called A Descent to Darwinian Evolution. And in their paper, they claimed that the documentary failed to present accurately and fairly the scientific problems 
with the evidence of Dar for Darwinian evolution and even systematically ignored disagreements among evolutionary biologists themselves. So all I want to do with the remaining time that we have is just look at some of the evidence they're aware of that they're not taught in school, that you weren't taught in school, because it contradicts evolutionary science, which then only leaves you with one other conclusion, which we won't address for philosophical reasons, not scientific reasons. Colin Patterson is the senior paleontologist for the British Museum of Natural History. He wrote the authoritative book, Evolution. And in it, he acknowledged that there are zero transitionary forms between any species because it's the number one reason why I in my 20s, so that kid Buddy Fidel, who was the atheist who came to our youth group, started asking me legitimate questions about faith that I had no answer to. He was evolutionist. He goes, you guys really believe that? Why? You really believe that? Why? I said, well, the Bible says so. The Bible says so. He's like, well, how do you know that's true? That's what we're talking about two weeks from now. He said, what about this? What about this? What about this? So I started writing these things down. And the number one reason why I, as an intelligent, and by the way, don't we all think we're intelligent? For surely you have a room this size, somebody's a moron. It just ain't me, right? It just ain't you. Somebody's a moron. You might be, raise your hand if you're sitting next to him. No, don't do that at all. I'm just kidding. All of us think that we're intelligent adults, but the truth is I might be the moron, right? So just in case I'm the moron, I'll, I'll throw that out there. But there are intelligent reasons why I can't be an evolutionist. And one of them is the, is the fossil record, and that's what Colin Patterson uh, writes about. And then he says in his book, if I knew of any evolutionary transitionary fossil, I would certainly have included it in my book. So if all of life comes from the same original piece of life and everything evolved and went off in those different branches... And we have a million of these fossils, and we have a million of these fossils, and we have a million of these fossils. Shouldn't we have a million of these half fossils? Half and halves? Shouldn't we have a million of those between this and this? Like if all reptiles came from fish, then shouldn't we have as many half fish, half reptile fossils as we have fish fossils and reptile fossils? And then if, fossil, and if reptiles became birds, shouldn't we have as many half reptile, half bird fossils as we have reptile fossils and bird fossils? Like, shouldn't we have as many? One of the reasons why I can't go along with evolution is that there's not a single transitionary fossil. How many different millions of species are there or have there been that have gone extinct? And not a single transitionary fossil for any species? Maybe it's because they don't exist. Now, Darwin was aware of this in his own lifetime, and he recognized the problem that this presented to his theory. So Darwin said, why, if species have descended from one species by insensibly fine gradations, do we not everywhere find innumerable transitionary forms? His answer to the question, his own question, was that surely... We just haven't dug enough in the fossil record. Given enough time, I'm confident we'll find as many transitionary fossils as we have stationary fossils. David Ropp, the curator for the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, said, we are now about 120 years post-Darwin, and we have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had even in his day. 
It's just not there. So then they have to change the theory on the assumption the theory is true. And they came up with punctual, uh, punctuated equilibrium. Uh, Richard Goldschmidt, a German geneticist, phrased the idea of punctuated equilibrium this way. He said, major evolutionary advances must have taken place in single large steps. Must have? Why must it have happened? Because we know evolution is true. So it's on the bias that evolution is true. The number one problem with the theory of punctuated equilibrium is that the theory is based on the non-existence of evidence. Not on any actual evidence. The second problem with it is that it contradicts the known facts of genetic science. Dwayne Gish, a PhD, UC Berkeley biochemist, said this, the genetic apparatus of any species is devoted 100% to reproducing another exactly like it. So the genes, the DNA within every species is 100% designed to create another one exactly like it. No exceptions. No exceptions. But then the theory of punctuated equilibrium depends on billions of contradictions to what we actually know about genetics. Colin Patterson, that same guy who wrote the book who said if I had... If I knew of any transitionary fossils, I would have included them, that guy. When all of this, when he started realizing all of this, uh, he is an evolutionist. He says, for over 20 years, I thought I was working on evolution, but there was not one single thing that I could say I knew for sure about evolution. So for the last few weeks, he writes in this article, uh, I have tried putting a simple question to various people and groups of people. The question is this. Can you tell me anything you know about evolution? Any one thing any one thing that is absolutely true. I tried that question on the geology staff at the Field Museum of Natural History, and the only answer I got was silence. I tried that question on the members of the Evolutionary Morphology Seminar in the University of Chicago, a very prestigious body of evolutionists. And all I got there was silence for a long time, and eventually one person spoke up and said, yes, I do know one thing. It ought not to be taught in high school. He goes on to write, during the past few years, you have experienced a shift from evolution as knowledge to evolution as faith. Evolution not only conveys no knowledge, but seems somehow now to convey anti-knowledge. But if creation is true, the fossil record would be exactly the way it is. Another reason why I can't believe in uh, evolution is Darwin's tree of life. I, I referenced it earlier, but you know, you know the tree where the first life comes and that's the trunk of the, the base of the tree and then all of the other ones kind of branch out from that? The only problem is that's not what the fossil record shows either. So if you were to take the fossil record and lay it on its side and make it like a football field, this is the goal line and this is 100 yards away. At 100 yards is where simple-celled organisms start to show up. All the way down at the whole other side of the field at the five-yard line is where complex organisms start to show up. And on the one-yard line, you have all of the species showing up at the exact same time. It's called the Precambrian Explosion. 
or excuse me, the Cambrian explosion. That's what it's called. So what you don't see is a gradual on the one yard, 100 yard line, and then, then this and this and this and this. What you actually, you, what the fossil record, what the evidence actually shows is not a tree of evolution, but a cornfield where all of them show up at the exact same time, which is exactly what you would expect if you accepted the biblical view of, of origins, which is exactly what the fossil record shows. The geological column is another reason why I can't go along with evolution. You guys have seen a picture of the geological column. It's that cutout of the, uh, of, of, the, of the layers of the Earth's uh, core, a uh, crust. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, a, it's like a billion years old, and then 500 million years old, and 100 million years old, and 50, like, you know, all the different layers of the rock. Here's the problem. Nowhere in the actual world is the layers of rock found in that order. In some places, you actually find it upside down. All of those layers exist in random orders, and it's arranged in that order for the textbooks on the assumption that it's true. And then they take this made-up graphic and use that to prove evolution is true. Bro, that's circular reasoning. You can't fabricate a ladder for me that you know doesn't exist anywhere else in the world on the assumption that it is true and then use that to prove it's true. I know the Bible's true. How do you know it's the Word of God? How do you know it's the Word of God? Because it says, oh, how do you know it's telling the truth? Because it's the Word of God. So now they're doing the exact same thing to us, that Christians who only look at the Bible, not that the Bible isn't enough, right? I'm just saying, for the skeptic, I'm not going to do the circular reasoning thing, but they've been doing that to us since we were kids. There are anomalies like fossils in the wrong layer of strata, they call those reworked specimens. Why do they call them reworked specimens? Is there any evidence for it to be reworked? No. Nope. But that must be true if our theory remains true. There are places, like I said, where it's upside down. They have polystrata trees. Google that. If this is 100 million years old and this is 50 million years old and you've got a tree that goes through all of them, then why did that tree not rot over the next 50 million years? You see what I'm saying? Um... In Glacier National Park, there's a layer of Precambrian limestone that's one billion years old on top of Cretaceous shale that's only 100 million years old. One billion on top of 100 million. How did that happen? So the argument or the, the rationalization or the, 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 the way they explain it the way is that, well, the tectonic plates must have shifted, lifted up the one billion year old rock, moved it over for the next 900 million years, and then moved it back on top. Why must that have happened? Is there any evidence for that? No. Oh, and by the way, that would make sense if it was like a chunk of land, but this one billion year old misplaced limestone is 350 miles long, 35 miles wide, and six miles thick. Come on. Even if sliding planes were lubricated, it's been demonstrated conclusively that that's physically impossible. Another reason why I can't go along with evolution is the made-up stories that they put in there, like Heckel's embryos. 
Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of Heckel's embryos. How many of you guys have ever seen this before? Raise your hand. Heckel's embryos. You've probably seen it before if you didn't know what it was called. Uh, a couple problems with this. And one is that the photos of actual embryos and Heckel's drawings don't match. That's the first problem. Second problem is that the similarities in early stages were faked. And in some cases, he used the exact same woodcut because he was so confident that he was right. And in other cases, he intentionally doctored them so that they would look more alike. Those were exposed as frauds in the 1860s while he was alive. In the 1860s. That's been proven to be a fake for 160 years. And my 10th grade son was taught that that proves evolution in eighth grade two years ago. How many, of you guys, how many of you guys have seen it in your textbooks? And it's been disproven for over 160 years. Stephen Jay Gould, who's the famous Harvard evolutionist, was confronted with Heckel's uh, embryos as being, a forge, or as being a fake, and he admitted that he'd known for over 20 years that they were fake and said that writers should be ashamed of the way that these drawings have been mindlessly recycled for over a century. He called using Heckel's embryos the equivalent to academic murder. When asked why they still teach it, the answer is, well, although the drawings are fake, they teach a concept that's basically true. Human genes and chimpanzee genes being 96% the same material. I mean, you guys have heard of that, 96 to 98%. Raise your, so that means that we're, we're, we're obviously from the same, we're saying that ancestor is the thought. But common material, genetic material, uh, could all, it's just as likely to be from a common designer as it is from a common ancestor. In the same way that a sidewalk is made of concrete and a street is made of asphalt. Both of them have some of the same material in its, in its making, but that doesn't mean that a concrete sidewalk will eventually become an asphalt street. But it wouldn't surprise any of us if, it uses, if they both have rock and sand in them, right? I mean, truthfully, we are 90, 90%, so while we're 90, and by the way, it wouldn't surprise any of us if two species that look alike would be built from the same genetic material, so while we're 96% the same genetic material of a chimpanzee, we're 90% the same genetic material as a cat. That doesn't mean that we come from cats. We're 85% the same as mice. We're 80% the same as a cow. We're 60% the same genetic material as a fruit fly. And you are 50% banana. So just because we're made of similar stuff doesn't mean we come from the same thing. The evolution's march of man. You've seen that? Little monkey and then the stooped over guy and then the stooped over guy and then the naked dude going like this. <laughs> I'm glad they took that picture before he took one more step. Hey! That would have been awkward for everybody. Nebraska man. Uh, is based off of one tooth, uh, later found out to be from a pig. Uh, Homo erectus, a Java man, 
was disproven as the, by the Salinka expedition uh, in a 342-page scientific report, said that beyond doubt, Java Man plays absolutely no part in human evolution, but every time Time Magazine does a story on the evolution of man, they still include Java Man. Uh, Piltdown Man, proven to be an outright fraud. It was reworked, uh, orangutan teeth. Peking Man, originally based on one tooth, uh, and they didn't talk about being found with human remains, and it was later discovered that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a monkey that uses human tools. It was a monkey that humans use tools on, and so while he wasn't an ancestor of man, he was most likely dinner for man. Uh, but if creation is true, we wouldn't be surprised at all of the absence of earlier ape-man creatures. Everything would be exactly the way we find it if, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mathematics is another reason why I have a hard time becoming an evolutionist. If you were to take 10 quarters and number them 1 through 10, blindfold yourself, and put them in numerical order, it would take you, on average, 10 billion tries. Giving you five seconds per try, it would take you 1,500 years to put those in numerical order on accident. But a child with intelligence can do it in a couple of seconds, less than a minute. That's the difference between blind chance and intelligent design. Um, the probability of a single protein molecule being arranged by chance is 1 in 10 with 161 zeros behind it. Now get this. A thing is mathematically impossible if it's 1 in 10 with 50 zeros. So this isn't 1 in 10 with 51 zeros. This is 1 in 10 with 161 zeros. It's three times impossible. That's just one protein molecule. But for the most rudimentary form of life to exist, it takes 239 protein molecules all of them randomly assorting themselves in order and then getting together. Remember, one in 10 with 50 zeros is impossible. The odds of that happening are one in 10 to 119,879 zeros behind it. And that's just for 239 protein molecules to make the very simplest form of life. So it's not mathematically logical or possible for life to have evolved by chance. But this isn't a problem with the biblical narrative of origins. I don't have time to talk to you about the first and second law of thermodynamics, that matter cannot be created or destroyed. That's the first, the first law. The second law of thermodynamics is that all structures and processes tend towards chaos, not towards, not towards order and structure. An easy way to picture this is that leaving out a pile of lumber doesn't become a house, but leaving a house by itself becomes a pile of lumber. That's a scientific law is that things don't improve on their own. Genetic mutations take information away from the DNA, doesn't add to and improve. Are you with me? So for evolution to be true, you've got not just millions, but billions and billions and billions of contradictory events to known scientific fact. And no evolutionist even attempts to explain that. Because it leaves us with only one other conclusion that of special creation. But I can't accept that on philosophical grounds. So I'll keep teaching this. 
Uh, there's other stuff that I want to talk about, but I can't. I'm, I have to, I have to uh, skip. So not only do I believe that the evidence points to design and special creation, I also believe in a literal six-day creation. Um, I'd, I believe that the evidence would indicate that none of this is as old as they say. Uh, but I'm not... How old? I, I have no idea. I have, I have no idea. We're just going to talk about the evidence. What, if you read the book of, of, of Genesis, the first chapter, you find out that man was created on the sixth day. So on the seventh day, by calendar time, how old is Adam? How old is he? On day seven. He's one day old. But God told him on day six in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So on the day he was created, biologically, how old was he? Do you see what I'm saying? God created with age. I've got no problem with that. That's what the Bible actually says. God created stars that are trillions of light years away with the light already being seen on the earth. I've got no problem with that. That's actually in the biblical record. There are some trees that don't produce fruit in the first couple of decades. But on the third day, God created all the vegetation, or the fourth day, and it, with fruit bearing. So he created them. They were one day old on day four, but they already had rings inside them. Do you get what I'm saying? I've got no problem. So God created an old, he created it that way. He created mankind that way. So I've got no problem with that. What I have a problem is the evidence against us being millions or billions of years old. I'll give you just a few, just for the sake of time. One is our magnetic field. Our, medic, our, our magnetic field, we know, has a half-life of 1,400 years. What that means is, every 1,400 years, the magnetic field is half as strong as it was. Which means 1,400 years ago, compasses were twice as good. Does that make sense? All right. If you go back 20,000 years, doubling it every 1,400 years, 20,000 years ago, our magnetic field would have been as strong as that of a magnetic star. Highly improbable. If, as scientists speculate, the magnetic field is caused by the rotation of lava within the Earth's core, and that makes sense, the lava is spinning on the inside of our core, right? We know that, lava, it's moving around in there, and that friction in there is what creates the static, right? The electricity that creates our magnetic field. If that, and that makes sense, that's what most, com that's what most scientists believe, if that's true, then that's slow, that has a half-life of 1,400 years also. So if you go back in time and you double the speed of the lava within the Earth's core every 1,400 years and you go back just 20,000 years ago, the heat generated by the rotation of the lava within our core would have produced so much heat that our Earth would be a molten ball of lava. Now, I'm not saying we're less than 20,000 years old. All I'm saying is that if we're older than 20,000 years old, then the lava ain't what's causing the magnetic field. And why hasn't it stopped? And why hasn't our, if we are millions of years old, why aren't we already a dead planet? Another thing is that the, the moon is receding from the earth by two inches. It's not much. It's two inches a year. Two inches a year. But if the earth and the moon are millions of years old, how can we can still see it? That should, thing should be way out of our orbit by now if it was millions of years old. Are you with me? Here's another thing. Our earth is rotating on an axis. It spins as it goes around the sun. You probably already know that, right? You might not know that it's slowing down. And it's slowing down at a constant rate. If we're millions of years old, why are we still spinning? And at the rate we're spinning and the rate we're slowing down, if you go back in time and speed it up, 
and were millions of years old, then the, centrif the centrifugal force created by how fast we would have been spinning millions of years ago would have moved all of the continents to the equator and we'd be shaped more like a Frisbee than the way that we're... How come we're still shaped round? And why hasn't this thing stopped spinning if we're millions of years old? And I'll give you one more just for fun. Our, the human growth, population growth right now is close to 5%. That we're, we're, we're growing by 5% a year as, as, as the number of, there's 7 billion people on the planet at a growth rate of about 5% a year is, is what we're growing. But let's, let's slow that down. Let's say it's 2%. And we're going back in time here and we say 2%. And we're going to say 2%, which is less than half of what it is now because back then they didn't have a penicillin. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have, they didn't have hospitals. Uh, they didn't have governments to control stuff. So there's like tons of fighting and tons of death. You could get the total population that we have today from two people at only 2% growth rate in 4,000 years. If man is a million years old, then where the heck is everybody? That's a legitimate question. You see what I'm saying? The only point I'm, I'm not trying, if you're an evolutionist, I'm not trying to make you a creationist. But if you're an evolutionist and you've seen no intelligent reason why, Somebody could believe what the Bible says. I hope that you would have the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the objective position to say that there's at least reason not to believe what you believe. You see what I'm saying? So that was the only purpose of the teaching. How can I be a Christian and still believe in science? I would say that all good science backs up the biblical narrative. And all truth is God's truth. If God really did create everything, then he's not afraid of your questions. You don't threaten him. He loves you exactly where you are and is just waiting on you to turn around and come back. That's it. And if this has been the reason, it doesn't need to be anymore. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you left your fingerprints all over. I'm thankful that the heavens declare your handiwork, that the earth is full of your glory, that Romans chapter 1 says that there's enough evidence in the world that is seen to point us to a creator God who is unseen. And God, since the very first people on this planet, we've been running from our creator all along. We've just got better reasons to do it. God, I pray that those of us who are far from you would just stop running. That's it. And regardless of what conclusion we come to about origins, I pray that we would accept you as you reveal yourself to us through the scriptures. Give us more chances to turn from the brokenness in us, to find and follow you, Jesus, the only one who can help fix us from the inside out. Let your will be done in each one of our lives so that your will can be done through each one of our lives. That should be the prayer of every one of us in here. And we ask it in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.